The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. It's good for us to be together as believers in the house of the Lord. Good of us to be reminded that uh, with Jesus, you could never want any more. We, uh, we baptized at the 8 o'clock service this morning uh, an older man named Abraham Walden. He was saved by listening to Christian radio, by listening to Christian preachers as he traveled. And uh, just about six weeks ago, he lost his wife of 51 years, and he'd been, he'd been caring for her. So now he was able to attend church every week. And I met him about three weeks ago. Uh, at the back of the auditorium. He said, can I come and see you? We chatted for a little bit. He told me how he came to Christ, and he said, uh, I've never been baptized. And so we talked about what that is, the public confession of our faith. And I said, when would you like to do that? And he said, I don't see any reason to put it off. And so he was baptized this morning. And so we rejoice with uh, Abraham. And I get to say, I baptized Abraham. Well, if you want to join me in uh, your copy of the Scriptures in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we've been studying this book together. We've entitled the study, that is the, the whole book as we look at it, Real Answers to Real Questions. And we've been going through it. And this morning, I want us to pose and answer the question, how can I deal with those who are truly antagonistic to Christ? It may be that you have somebody in your life, uh, a boss, uh, a neighbor, uh, maybe someone in your family who really is antagonistic to your faith in Jesus Christ and, and maybe even uh, hateful of it. We, we live in an America that's changing rapidly. And as it changes and as people fail to understand the love of Christ and how we live that out, many of them actually think that we are hateful filled, narrow-minded people, and they have started being very antagonistic to us, and pretty soon I, I think it'll even be a part of legislation that's tried to be passed in America. So it's coming our way. I was first confronted with uh, the real fight between Christ and Satan, light and darkness, uh, when I was 22 years old. When I finished uh, college, uh, I felt like I should go to law school, but I didn't want to go right then. Uh, I was kind of tired of school, and uh, I was trying to think of what to do in that break. And uh, I, uh, I found out that there was a missionary program through uh, the IMB of Southern Baptist where I could go for two years. And I thought, well, that's better than joining the Navy to see the world. And I could, uh, I could go, and I could share Christ. And I, I did get to see a lot of the world, but I served primarily in South Africa. I served with the Tulsa people. Now, uh, you may not be familiar with the Tulsa tribe, but you're probably familiar with the name Nelson. Mandela. He's maybe the most famous of Tulsa tribe. And so uh, uh, there I was. I was 22 years old, uh, and I was there as a missionary to help assist in the, in the training of pastors and the building of churches. But quite honestly, my I didn't have enough expertise to assist very little, but I did have a Volkswagen van. The Tulsa pastors, they were impoverished. They were poor guys. Many of them lived in, uh, some of them, actual mud huts with thatched roofs. Um, they, they, they got to their churches. They almost all pastored uh, uh, several churches. They got to their churches by mule or, or donkey or horseback or, may, or maybe the bus. And so uh, I was valuable to them because I had this Volkswagen van. And they, they, they came to me one day and they said, we want to start a church in a village farther in the bush that doesn't have a church. And so they said, so here's what we want you to do. You get the van and you pick us up all along the way 
and uh, we'll pick up uh, four or five pastors, and then we'll go to that village. And I, and I said, okay. And so the appointed time came. I started to pick them up. As I got them in the van, they started praying. They were having a prayer meeting. I was driving. They were having a prayer meeting. Mike also wasn't really good. I could say, hi, how are you? I'm fine. I could do some of that. But I, I couldn't get all of what the strategy was going to be when we, when we got there. And, and so, uh, you know, and, and going to a a village back in, way back in the bush in Africa is a little bit like going hunting in Montana. You're, you're on the blacktop, and then you go off the asphalt onto the gravel, and then you go off the gravel onto the two-track, and then you go off the two-track into a dry riverbed, and then you get there. And uh, so uh, we got there, and then when we got to the village, and the village wasn't big, but they said, stop here, we're going to get directions. And I thought, are you kidding? We came up a dry riverbed. You never asked for directions once. Now we get to the village and you want directions. And so uh, once again, they spoke some Kosa and I didn't quite get it all, but they said, go up here, turn here. And like I said, the village wasn't that big, so it wasn't really anywhere to go. But they said, stop right here. For so, so for some reason, this was the place. So finally, the guys, are, the guys have, they've been praying all along the trip. They start to get out of the Volkswagen van. They slide the door. So I, I kind of say to one of the guys, why, why is this the place? He goes, the witch doctor lives right there. Oh, this is how they plant churches. We get out, and the guys start preaching. The guys start preaching right there in the village. Well, uh, we had the only real car in the village, so everybody already knew something was going on. And, and then I was the only white guy in the village, so everybody knew something was going on. So these guys get out, and they start preaching. The essence of the sermon to everybody that gathered, and pretty much everybody gathered pretty quick, was the essence was the sermon was, you live in superstition, you live in fear, you worship demons, the demons don't even help you, you sacrifice your chicken and your, and your goats to them, and your children still die of sickness, they don't have any power, and, um, and they start preaching, and there's, and there's four of them, and so one guy preaches until his voice gets uh, sore, and it's kind of like WWE, then he tags out, and the next guy tags in. And then he starts preaching. In a little bit, the, the witch doctor comes out. He comes out in his full regalia, and he starts calling down incantations and curses on us, and he's throwing his bones, and he's yelling at us, and we're preaching. And the, and the essence of the sermon is this. This guy can't do anything to us because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, and that's, uh, that's, how they, that's how they planted churches when I was there. So uh, it was powerful. Uh, just so you know, the whole experience, these guys are preaching. I, I was the white guy with the van. This is pretty much what I was doing. <laughs> but I learned a lot from that. I, I learned that the Bible is true when it speaks of, of the fact that not everyone is going to heaven. We really do live in a world where it takes a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about your scriptures and the scriptures that we're about to read is as we read this, this is a description of real life. This is not pretending that everyone is going to heaven. I'm afraid that in modern America, away from that experience that I just described when I was in Africa, uh, we kind of get the we kind of get the the cultural feeling well everybody's going to make it, and and we don't want to think about the harsh reality of an eternal death separated from God, and we don't want to think of anybody going there. And so our, our our neighbor dies and our friend dies, and we we think we think to ourselves, well she she was a pretty good person. I bet she's in heaven. He, he, he was a pretty decent guy. He lent me a rake once. So I, I bet he's in heaven. And, and, and we start to soft sell this 
to our own minds. But when you read Scripture, Scripture clearly says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, no one gains heaven except through Him. And, and, and there's, this, there's this description of the fact that there are those that are antagonistic to Christ. Now, now, maybe the reason you don't recognize it is because there's not a witch doctor in your life. But 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, the prophet Samuel says this. He says, rebellion, this is talking about spiritual rebellion in God's eyes is the same as witchcraft. You certainly have many people in your life that you would have to confess they are rebellious to the ways of the Lord. They don't want the Lord as their they don't want the Lord as their Lord. They don't want the Lord as their boss. They don't want the Lord as their master and their king. They want to call the shots in their own lives. And they are antagonistic to Christ. And many of them, many of them will come into your life and begin to speak to that. This is this is the question that Paul's answering here. Second Thessalonians chapter three. I want to begin in verse one. He says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Now, this is really the only time in all the New Testament that this phrase is used, that the word of the Lord can speed ahead. It was kind of my role as a missionary in Africa. I had a Volkswagen van so I could speed us ahead. I could, I could get these pastors to the next village to plant a church faster than they could on their mules and donkeys. So I was a part of speeding that ahead. When you support the mission team that goes to Dallas with the high schoolers, when you support the next mission team that'll go to the Ukraine by bringing medical supplies or the things they need on Main Street or, or signing up to go with Ed and Deb Smith, when you give something to the world mission offering, you're a part of speeding that ahead. So the Apostle Paul says, this is the work that we're doing. He said, pray for us that we can speed ahead the word of the Lord and be honored. Second prayer request, verse 2, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. Do you see that there in your Bible? When When we think about this description of real life and that we really are not pretending we, we come to this conclusion. It's a very short sentence. For not all have faith. Uh, you know, we've got friends. They actually think that what we're doing in here is pretending. They, they think that we are blind to what the world really is. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and you've you got to get the most money you can, and you've got to fight for it. And they think that you and I uh, need, the, need the crutch of religion and that we're just in here pretending, and we, we pretend that, you know, that we love one another, and the world's hunky-dory, and it's peaches and cream. And then, then when we go out there, they actually think that we're hypocrites because we cuss and curse and steal and lust just like they do. So they think this is all pretense. Isn't it interesting that the Bible, whenever it tells a story, it doesn't just give you half the story so you can pretend that everything's always good? For instance, with Abraham, we have the story of Abraham's faith, but we also have the story where he lacked faith and he sinned and he told Pharaoh Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. We have, we have the Bible that tells us that there are times when, when David's a man after God's own heart. And then the Bible tells us that he commits adultery and he conspires to kill Uriah. The, the Bible tells the whole story. It's warts and all. 
the Bible gives it all to us because we're not pretending. And as the Bible tells us the whole counsel of God, it tells us there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. And you were made in the image of God. So you will never die. Your body will die, but you will never die. Your spirit will be in a place of everlasting life or a place of everlasting death. The scripture says it over and over and over again. In fact, just look at the sermons of Jesus. Jesus preached more on hell than heaven. Why? Because he was pretending? No, because he didn't want you to go there. Because he wants you to be aware of that. So not everyone has faith, and there really are evil and wicked people in the world. You don't have to be a witch doctor to be on the side of evil. The scripture says if you're not on the side of light, you're in the darkness. If you're not on the side of life, you're in death. If you're not on the side of the Lord, you're on the side of Satan. If children of the Lord, children of the devil. In John chapter 8, Jesus says to, to those Israelites, he said, you're of your father the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And we don't like that kind of language. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, Paul, you, you have found one little passage in the New Testament, and, and now you're making a big deal out of it. Actually, this is one little passage, but the Bible says this over and over and over again. Hold your place there, Second Thessalonians. Flip with me back for a couple of pages to Philippians chapter 3. Let me show you one other. I, I've, if we had time, I could show you a dozen. But I I want you to understand this because it's important for you to recognize that we truly are in this this spiritual cosmic war uh, where Satan is fighting against the Lord Jesus himself. And and, and he's trying to take every single soul to hell that he can. And, And we get to be a part of the saints of God. We get to be a part of the army of God. Here's how Paul would describe those who are enemies of Christ in Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Um, I want to say this to you. There, There should be somebody in your life that you've led to the Lord or a younger Christian, and even though they don't know their Bible yet, you can just say to them, look, until you know your Bible, do what I do. You'd say, that sounds arrogant. No, no, that's discipleship. So he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many, as I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Some people might think, well, yeah, there are enemies of Christ. You know what we need to do? We need to roll up our sleeves and we need to just go, cowboy. The, the Apostle Paul's heart is broken for those who don't know Christ. And he says, I, I tell you this with tears. And then he gives us a fourfold description of what it looks like to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. Number one, their end is destruction. There's a heaven. There's a hell. Not only, if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, I want to tell you, it's the greatest single decision you will ever make in your life. Not only will it change this life, but it changes eternity. For those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. Number two, it says about them, their God is their belly. This, is the, this belly is used as an appetite. It's a picture of appetite. And it's not just for food. Their God is their sinful, selfish appetites. 
And it might be food, it might be liquor, it might be drugs, it might be gambling, it, it, it might be porn, it might be sex, it might be power, it might be money, but they want what they want. One of the struggles of the church of modern America is that that world whose God is its appetite, that's a, but remember, this is a picture of those that are enemies of the cross of Christ. That world is reflected here among those of us who call ourselves friends of the cross of Christ. Do you know what? You know why some of our friends don't come to Christ? Because they look at your life and you're not any different than them. So why should they waste their Sunday morning doing what you do when your life isn't any different than theirs? Isn't it time that you walk in holiness? Isn't it time that you walk in godliness? Isn't it time that you set aside the sins that will destroy your life? Isn't it time that you cease with the selfishness? When he says their God is their belly, they are their own idols. They worship all of their own appetites. Number three in this description, their glory is their shame. Um, When I was a kid, people blushed. It was a very wonderful time. People blushed, and and if they got caught in a sin, they were ashamed. No one's ashamed anymore. No one blushes anymore. Did you see the phrase here? They are actually glorying in, they're boasting about what they should be ashamed of. Their glory is their shame. This is certainly a picture of modern America. And it ends with, and their minds are set on earthly things. They don't think about heaven. They don't think about eternity. They just think about the here and now. They just think about what I want, I want, and I want it. Now, it's a fourfold description, it says in verse 18, of enemies of the cross of Christ. You can, you can find this all through your New Testament. So when we go back to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we come to the fact that there are many who are enemies of Christ and... Because of who they are, maybe their position, maybe who they are, they're going to choose to attack you. If it hasn't happened in your life, it's coming. And whether it's a, whether it's a corporate attack with the, with the company that you work for, because they won't allow your beliefs, or, or whether it's just the attack from your neighbor, or whether it's going to be a, 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 a legislative attack by what happens in American politics and governments, it's most certainly coming our way. And what should we do? How should we respond when that attack comes. So the rest of this is really easy. The rest of the sermon is, it's all right here in this paragraph. First, what's the right response in the face of that? Look in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. The first thing that I want you to see is that it's a matter of the heart. You know, I talked about this a while ago. When somebody attacks us, our first response, the flesh response is, why you I yada wakasaka. But it's not really something you can correct with fisticuffs. It's a matter of the heart. How do we know that? Because before we were saved, we were enemies of the cross of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, when he talks about the children of disobedience, the Apostle Paul says, and that's who you used to be. Do you remember who you used to be without Christ or who you would be if you were still without Christ? That's the love of God that changed us. What did he change? He changed our hearts. Remember this, your friends don't become believers because they're in a church. 
You're, 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 not a, you're not a saint because you're in a church any more than you'd be a car just because you're in a garage. You're not changed from the outside in. You're changed from the inside out. What the unbeliever needs is a heart transplant. The prophet says the heart is deceitfully wicked beyond the imagination. Who can understand how wicked it really is? What do you need? You need to reform it? Does it need education? Does it need not to be impoverished? Does it need political action? No, you need a heart transplant. God takes the wicked heart. He died for that on the cross. And he gives you the righteous heart. He gives you his own righteousness. It's a matter of the heart. Verse 5, it says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. For the most part, how do people come to Christ? Because we out-debate them? Because we out-intellectualize them? Because we're smarter than they are? Because we... No! People come to Christ because we, we love them to Christ. And, and, and this dichotomy becomes clear when they attack you when they hate you and you love them in return. Let's talk about love just for a second. How does it work? God poured out his love to us. The scripture says when we got ourselves ready and he liked us. No, while we were still his enemies, it says in Romans 5. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. So he poured out his love and he sent it to us that it would do a work in us, that's the heart transplant, that it might flow through us to someone else's life. The idea that God loved you and it came to you to do a work in you and then it stops there is not a biblical idea. Your life is not a spiritual cul-de-sac. You're not the end of the road. You're a culvert. You're a conduit. It comes to you. It does a life-changing work in you, and it flows through you to someone else. Who? Well, as we, as we consider love and the love of God, we, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself, unless he attacks you. Did you ever notice there's no condition to that clause? You love your neighbor as yourself. You know what I would say to you? Especially when he attacks you especially when she attacks you. That's when that love starts to change their lives. They recognize you're different than everybody else they know. So it's a matter of the heart, and the heart is to focus on the love of God. And then the last phrase, and to the steadfastness of Christ. Christ is steadfast in your life. You can trust him. You see, sometimes the reason we attack the attacker is we feel like we we have to defend ourselves. Listen very carefully to what I have to say. You don't have to defend yourself. God will do it. Could I just add a couple things to this? When you defend yourself, you're not as good at it as you think you are. It doesn't get the result that you want. It certainly doesn't get the result that God wants. God will defend you, and he's really good at it. He will get the result that he wants, and it'll be a better result than you. Trust the steadfastness of Christ. That's the attitude. That's the response. What about the actions? Well, the actions are back in chapter 2. They, this, this whole thing flows together. Look at verse 15. First action, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. He's talking about the scriptures. Hold to the scriptures that you were taught by us. So stand firm in the scriptures. Believers, I've got to preach to you just a little bit. Put aside the Pinterest. Put aside the Facebook. Put aside the Netflix. Put aside the fill-in-the-blank. Get your Bible out. You, you got it right there on the same device as your Facebook and your Pinterest, but you don't know it. 
So since you don't know it, the verses don't come to your mind. The Holy Spirit can't bring them to your mind. You're not walking in them. Immerse yourself in the Scriptures. And when the attack comes, it is the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit will use to speak through you truth to those who need to hear it. So it all starts with the Scripture. And then what about, what about this attacker? How do you respond to them? Verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. It's always the same. The, the person who's attacking, what do they need? They need love and comfort and hope. Have you thought about how stark this contrast is? This person attacks you, and man, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a, it's like a sudden fender bender on an icy day on a roundabout. Bam! All of a sudden, oh, I got, I got automobile damage. Bam! The attack happens, and your response is love and comfort and hope. The person who was driving stupid and crazy, you get out and you say, "Hey, are you okay?" Wow, that's different. Now, some of you. You understand, I'm not talking about an actual physical fender bender, although you might have one after church. People from Faith Chapel drive crazy. <laughs> no, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about a spiritual fender bender. Boom, the attack happens. What, what happens? You love, you bring comfort, you bring hope. It's an incredible dichotomy. It's an incredible object lesson. And it gives your testimony credence. Well, what's the conclusion of all of this? Look in verse 3. The the last phrase of verse 2 says, not all have faith. But the first phrase of verse 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. It's a play on words. Not everybody in the world has faith. Not everybody's going to heaven. Many will reject Christ. But the Lord, he's faithful. So I would say to you, when you think, well, if I don't defend myself... Or I, it's my boss, what's going to happen to me? I, I want to say to you, the Lord is faithful. He will, he will take care of you just like he always has. You know, one day you and I are going to walk through heaven's gate, and we're going to be able to look back at our earthly lives with heavenly eyes. Won't that be a moment? Won't it be a moment to look back at your own life, now not with the limitations that you have here on earth, with your, uh, your own prejudices, your own biases, but now you'll look back with divine eyes. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13 that in heaven we will know even as we are known. We'll, we'll look back and we'll see our lives differently. And when we look back, we will discover that God was always faithful to us every step of the way. You say, oh, Paul, I've had some really bad days. God was faithful to you even in those bad days. And you'll see it when you get to heaven. The other thing we discover in verse 3 is that not only will the Lord be faithful to you, but he will establish you. The word establish is, uh, the word picture here comes from an establishment. That is a, a, a building, a, not a tent. The, the, the Bible would often use this comparison. A tent is just material. It's flimsy, but it's a building. It's a, it's a house made by God. It's, a, it's an establishment. So he establishes you. There's a foundation. There's, there's brick and mortar. There's walls. There's steel beams. 
God is saying to you, you don't have to worry about the attack because I am going to establish you. God will take care of you. He's letting you know that. I will establish you. It's also in the last phrase of chapter 2 in that benediction. He will comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That's what he has. And then the last thing, he will guard you. See it in verse 3? The Lord is faithful. He will, he will establish and guard you against the evil one. Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to have a bodyguard? Been a few places I wish I had one. Well, you have one. You have, one, you have something better than a bodyguard. You have a body and soul guard. And God will guard you from the evil one. Remember the pastors that I told you about in Africa? Remember that scripture? Greater is he that is in us, the guard, the guard of our hearts, than he that is in the world. Well, my African experience, there's another part of it that really jumped off the pages to me. Um, In Africa, um, funerals of believers, uh, at least among the Tulsa, was very different. Um, in the church, the, the, it was a celebration service because the loved one had gone to heaven. And in Africa, most, uh, most folks living in uh, poverty and uh, not having much in, of anything that was an earthly possession, there was a huge celebration that now they were in heaven. Now it was a perfect life. Now they were in the arms of Jesus. And so it was just a great celebration service. So that was the first half of a, of a funeral. And the second half would be at the cemetery. And the cemeteries, not like American cemeteries, where it's beautiful rolling green grass and nice uh, marble statues. It's just, just a place where they buried bodies outside the village. And then they had to do it pretty quickly because of decay in the body. There wasn't, wasn't, anything, wasn't any embalming. And so we, the hole would be dug when we got there. And once again, my, my black uh, pastor friends, my African pastor friends, the dirt that came out of that hole was about that high. And it made for a really good platform. And so as the body was going in the grave, they would step up on the dirt higher than the whole village. Then now the village would join. The village didn't come into the church, afraid of the witch doctor, what he'd say. But now they would come to the cemetery, and they would all there. And the sermon began, would begin like this. If you were dead and being put into this hole, where would you be? That's a pretty straightforward sermon, isn't it? Some of you this morning thought, whoa, pastor, this is a straightforward sermon. No, no, no. Not compared to my African brothers. Where would you be? If you were being put in this hole, would you be with the demons that you've been worshiping and serving all of your life? Or would you be with Jesus who loves you and came to die for you? And, and just like I told you about the starting the church, when one stood on the, because there's no sound system, so he's, he's just speaking loudly. And when his voice got tired, he tagged out and the next guy was in. And he tagged out and the next guy was in. And, and that's how the gospel was preached. I, I want you to know, you have people in your life who desperately need the gospel. And they may even attack you for what you believe. But you know what they don't have? They don't have love. They don't have comfort. They don't have peace. They don't have hope. Because only Christ gives that. They're desperate for it. They might not even tell you. And and what, what boils out, even if it boils out in hate, they might not say it, but they're desperate for you. Because every soul was made to have that from God. And Jesus Christ died so that it would be theirs as well.
I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Is it possible that you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ? Maybe as I was preaching, it just kind of all made sense to you. And today, for the first time, you're like, I, I get that. I, I need to do that. And so the Scripture says that you could pray a prayer right there in the stillness of your own heart. It would go something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that's why Jesus came to die, to pay for my sins. And so right now I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. And the best that I know how from this day forward, I'll make you my boss, my master, and my king. And if you prayed that prayer right now, the Bible says that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all it takes, is you giving your life to him the way he gave his life for you. It will change your life. It'll change this life and change all of eternity if you'll give your life to Christ. Mostly this morning, I was speaking to Christians about what happens when people attack you and attack your faith and they attack your Savior. What's your response? To attack back? No, no. A thousand times no. We're to respond with love and hope and peace and comfort. We're to trust God to defend us. He's faithful. He will establish you. He will guard you. He'll keep you. He'll do that work through you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you would just signify with a, with a raised hand, God has spoken to me this morning. You just raise your hand and say, there's a part of that sermon that was right for me. All over the room, all over the room, thank you. And one more time, how many of you, by by raising your hand, you would say, Paul, pray for me. I want to be obedient to what God has told me this morning. And you'd raise your hand all over the room. God bless you. Father, you've seen our hands. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. And so we ask you to give us the faith to do what you've asked us to do today. Change our lives. Remake us. Remold us. Even in the face of attack, we choose to trust you. And Father, when we do that, We pray that you'll get the glory and the honor and the praise. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.